0: Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, Justin Trudeau plays the race card to defend the Chinese Communist Party. One MP makes a splash in virtual parliament and the reopening plan that doesn't actually have any reopening. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. And if you don't listen, you are a darn dirty racist. That is basically the liberal government's logic for everything. If you do something they don't approve of or don't do something they do approve of, you are a racist. It's actually very simple. And you know what? We have to be grateful that the liberals are being as transparent as they are about this in playing the race card to deflect against criticism. We expect this sort of nonsense typically from woke liberal arts folks in universities. We don't expect it from people that are in positions of leadership. Well, maybe we do in Canada. That's, I guess, part of the discussion here. Moreover, it's not just that the liberals are using woke platitudes, accusing everyone of racist, doing all of these things that have fueled the culture wars. It's that they're doing it to carry water for the Chinese Politburo. They're doing this to shill for the Chinese regime, the Chinese Communist Party. That's the most egregious part about this. It's not that, you know, liberal calls critic racist. That's like water is wet or dog bites man. Not news at all. Liberal calls opponent racist to shill for the Chinese regime. Well, maybe it's not news in Canada anymore, but it's still something that needs to be called out. The background of this is that in Canada, we have a level four microbiology lab in Winnipeg, which deals with some of the most strict viruses and strains of disease in the country. It's one of only a handful in North America that does this. Yet for some bizarre reason, this lab, which has a level of secrecy to it, given the work it does, has a number of scientists, not just one, that are connected to the Chinese regime and not by fluke, not because they have infiltrated the lab by some sort of subversive means because the Canadian government has engaged in a official and formal agreement with China to have these researchers here. According to a Globe and Mail story, there have been seven particular researchers connected to the Chinese regime, in particular the People's Liberation Army, the Chinese Communist Government's military, while also working for Canada, or let me clarify, ostensibly or supposedly working for Canada, when we know for a fact that their research was being passed to China. Seven scientists at this lab in Winnipeg have worked with Chinese military researchers to conduct experiments and co author six studies on infectious diseases such as Ebola, Lassa fever, and Rift Valley fever going back from 2016 to early 2020, right at the point when the COVID 19 pandemic was ramping up. We've had a number of stories of these. Uh, one case was one of them who was removed by police just a couple of years ago, and only this year was was terminated from the Public Health Agency of Canada which is particularly egregious that it took that long for any sort of clarity there and then we have these People's Liberation Army collaborations. One researcher is a co-author on all six of them. On two of them, he is listed this is Fei Hu Yan as being affiliated with this lab in Canada and the Chinese Military Medical Academy. So when I talk about Chinese infiltration into Canadian institutions, we're not talking about spies here that had to sneak their way in, we're talking about Chinese government assets that were invited in by Canada invited in at a time when there are significant questions that need to be asked about China's role in allowing the COVID-19 pandemic to become a thing, either in covering it up or in its negligence allowing it to be released from a lab, which is a thesis that was mocked by a whole bunch of our critics when we raised it over a year ago, but now all of a sudden everyone seems to be coming around to it, from the New York Times to even a number of folks on the left. What was a conspiracy theory a year ago is now something that, well, maybe, just maybe, there's something to it. So Canada shouldn't be cozying up with the Chinese Politburo in any case. We already see Chinese infiltration taking hold in institutions across the country, like universities, like the Canadian government. We don't need to be inviting them into our top secret labs as well. So it's very legitimate when conservative politicians, because they're the only ones doing this, stand up and say to Justin Trudeau, "Uh, you know what, what's going on here? Let's talk about ending this program, as a number of conservative MPs did this week in question period. I'm not going to play them all, because the nature of Justin Trudeau standing up in question period is that he memorizes the talking points, and he gets them down pat, and then he just repeats them over and over again ad nauseum, which is what he did here in French and And in English, I will play one of them, though, just to give you a little taste of it. This is Conservative MP Candace Bergen asking the questions very pointedly, but they are questions that need to be asked about whether Justin Trudeau will end this research sharing partnership with China. And, well... Just watch the whole thing.
1: Mr. Speaker, we have a problem in this country when operatives who are part of the communist China regime are allowed into our very sensitive labs here in Canada, specifically in Winnipeg. And we have even a greater problem when our prime minister doesn't realize how dangerous that is. So again, will he commit today to ending research cooperation with Chinese communist military? Right
2: honourable Prime Minister, Mr. Speaker, I can confirm. That- the two scientists in question are no longer employed by the Public Health Agency of Canada. We cannot disclose additional information nor comment further for privacy reasons and confidentiality. But We are committed to supporting open collaborative research while also protecting our research, national security and economic interests. In March we announced we would take further steps to better integrate national security considerations into the evaluation of federally funded research projects. We will continue to work with all our intelligence Agencies to keep Canadians safe. The Honourable Member for Portage-Lisker.
1: Well, the problem is, and the Prime Minister maybe does not realize this, is communist China cannot be trusted. I know he admires their basic dictatorship. I know he liked to do fundraisers with them over the years. I know he thought they were the first go-to for vaccines. But at this point, we would hope that he would learn a lesson and put the safety, security, and protection of Canadians above this fascination he has with the communist regime. So again, will he commit to ending this research and this cooperation with a regime that not only doesn't have our interest in mind, but actually wants to hurt Canada.
2: Honourable Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, yes, from the beginning of my career onwards, I have uh, worked with many Chinese Canadians and indeed had fundraisers with them. And the rise in anti-Asian racism we're seeing over the past number of months should be of concern to everyone. And I would uh, recommend that the members of the Conservative Party, in their zeal to make personal attacks, not start to push too far into intolerance uh, towards Canadians of diverse origins. We will continue to stand up to defend Canadians' interests Canadian security. Uh, We will continue to make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep Canadians safe while participating in the global research community uh, and uh, stand up for tolerance and uh, diversity.
0: So we know he pivots to diversity is our strength, which he didn't do, I don't think, in that clip, but he did in a couple of his other responses. But, you know, to not even try to engage on the point takes a particular level of brazenness here. He goes right to anti-Asian racism, the conservatives need to stand up and not fuel intolerance, and then we must celebrate diversity. Now, when your first response to a question, any question about Chinese infiltration of Canadian institutions is to start lecturing people about racism, you are fueling the most pathetic response imaginable to a very real problem, which you, Prime Minister, clearly do not care about. How is anyone supposed to watch that and not come away with one of two perspectives? Either A, we're talking about an intellectual lightweight who has no idea the ramifications of China's infiltration of institutions, who has no idea how to engage in a serious dialogue, who just goes to woke platitudes and talking points because it's all he has, or alternatively someone who is genuinely, for ideological reasons or out of just sheer terror, unwilling to criticize the Chinese Politburo. And Candace Bergen had indicated this. She talked about that famous quote of Justin Trudeau's admiring the basic dictatorship of China. And I will say, in a lot of ways, we were warned. A lot of people tended to just laugh that off as a gaffe. It's not a gaffe when Canada and China are at loggerheads on some very serious issues, including, by the way, two Canadians that have been imprisoned for uh, over two years in China when China is not answering what it did or could have done or didn't do and all of these questions about the early days of the pandemic when there are very real criticisms that need to be leveled against China, a country that the Canadian Parliament uh, found was committing genocide against the Uyghurs, just to throw it in for good measure. How's that for diversity, by the way? And all of that is to say that if you are still at this point, unwilling to say an unkind word about China, you are part of the problem. And it's this attitude from Justin Trudeau and a whole bunch of people in the Western left that is going to contribute to China eventually marching right in because we are opening the doors for them. China has been very clear about its ambitions. It wants to be part of the new empire of this generation. There's a reason China's spearheading the multi-trillion dollar Belt and Road Initiative, which is connecting China with uh, the Middle East, with Europe, with Africa. There's a reason that China is going all gung ho into international institutions and there's a reason that China is all too willing to put money behind these very significant partnerships in universities across the world, in research institutions, in Canadian connect- Canadian level four microbiology labs. There's a reason China's doing this. China doesn't need to take the People's Liberation Army and march into a country it wants to take over because these countries, thanks to people like Justin Trudeau, are all too willing to unlock their doors, open them up and roll out the red carpet for the Chinese regime. And that is a tremendous shame on this country. This country that is supposed to stand up for freedom, that is supposed to stand up for all of these values, but we are willing to sell them out to China for a quick buck. And what happens when you call the prime minister on this? What happens when you question the government about it? You get a lecture about how you are racist. Give me a break. This is despicable and disgusting and beyond parody. Beyond parody. I was laughing a few years back when Justin Trudeau made the basic dictatorship line because I didn't realize that his government was actually going to be willing to sell Canada down the river to China. And before you go into that, oh, well, you know what? He's just not rocking the boat because the two Michaels and all that. It is a load of nonsense. It's been two years. We have absolutely nothing to show for it. Nothing whatsoever. Even Joe Biden's taking a firmer position on China right now, which should tell you something. And that's only because they want to get China involved in the climate change fight, which is probably what Canada wants, too. There's a big climate summit coming up in November in Glasgow, the sequel to the Paris climate summit. And you know that Xi Jinping's going to be there shaking hands with the Canadians, with the Americans, with the Brits. All the while, they are waltzing into top secret microbiology labs at the invitation of foreign governments who won't do a damn thing about it. And it is disgusting. I know I said it before, but how else can you describe it? And to accuse people that criticize the Chinese regime of being racist against Asian Canadians is not only a despicable charge that is just fundamentally untrue, but it is actually disrespectful and very offensive to the Chinese Canadians who are Chinese Canadians because of their contempt for the Chinese regime because they came to a country that they thought was not going to be Xi Jinping's country. Little did they know. Fast forward a few years, and it's as though they never left China in the first place. Jeremy Nuttall, who is a reporter with the Toronto Star, had a, a good thread about this. He said, Many Chinese activist groups say, When you conflate Chinese people with mainland China's government, you're not helping stem racism at all. You're fanning it. And moreover, he, and this is the Toronto Star, by the way, The Toronto Star, this is like the paper that is most friendly with Justin Trudeau under normal circumstances. They say that accusing critics of racism is a Chinese Communist Party tactic. That is what the CCP does to deflect criticism. This is exactly what happened when the Canadian Parliament, with liberal abstention, by the way, criticized the Chinese treatment of Uyghurs and condemned it as a genocide. The Chinese said it was this uh, racist crusade against China. And this is something that, again, Chinese people in Canada were trying to get away from. And I was very glad to see Asian Canadian MPs, only Conservatives because the Liberals are forced to deal with this, Asian Canadian MPs stand up and say, you know what, you don't understand a damn thing about fighting anti-Asian racism. Here's Conservative MP Nellie Shin.
1: I find it offensive that the Prime Minister... <sighs> is diminishing the significance of the anti-Asian crisis in Canada by using it to deflect attention away from an unrelated political issue of national security. Canadians of Asian descent do not appreciate being used in this way since they too are concerned about the national security of their country and want answers. They are not political shields. They are Canadians who expect their Prime Minister to address their questions separately, respectfully and with sincerity. The Prime Minister's remarks are provocative, divisive, and disruptive to this House, and I ask through you, Mr. Speaker, that the Prime Minister apologize.
0: And another Conservative MP, Kenny Chu, took aim at this. He said, this is the exact tactics the United Front work uses. Criticism of the CCP is a criticism of ethnic Chinese as a whole. Their message to Chinese Canadians is stop criticizing the Chinese Communist Party if you don't want anti-Asian racism. And he gave quite an impassioned statement the following day in the House of Commons. Here's Conservative MP Kenny Chu. Mr. Speaker, the
3: Prime Minister suggested that asking questions about the threats from China's government, its anti-Asian racism. I'm an Asian Canadian and I'm deeply offended by this. How dare the wearer of blackface brownface use the painful experience of racism to shield his government's callous dereliction to protect Canada from hostile foreign regimes. Pointing that out, it's not racism. Suggesting otherwise plays into the propaganda effort of our opponents, something of great concern in my home of Richmond. To see our national leadership downplay these concerns, it's simply shameful. Many critics of CCP's are Asian descent themselves, either born as an equal partner in Canada or having joined the equal partnership as an immigrant, expressing dissent is not hatred. Iranian disapprove of the Ayatollah, Russians of the state kleptocracy, Hong Kongers of the Tsar government. Even today, I'm expressing the disapproval of my government. This is not out of hate for, but rather my deep love of Canada.
0: Now, yes, it's worth noting these are two comments from conservative members of Parliament. They are of Asian origin, of course, but they have an axe to grind politically with Justin Trudeau as it is. That's a fair criticism, but the point is their charges against Trudeau are entirely valid entirely 100% valid. And I would love to see some courage from liberal MPs of any origin, Asian or non-Asian, stand up and say, well, hang on, when you equate Asian people with the Chinese Communist Party, what, what is that saying about the esteem in which you hold Asian Canadians, that criticizing a dictatorial regime that they have left is tantamount to criticizing them? Equating the race to the regime is what Justin Trudeau is doing not what the people who are criticizing the Chinese Politburo are doing. And I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go and play the whole litany of clips that we've amassed over the last year from Patty Haidu saying that it's feeding conspiracy theories to question Chinese data, from Justin Trudeau saying that questions about China's handling are questions for another time, but another time that hasn't quite come around, or any of the other politicians that have made claims that are very similar, that we are not to criticize Chairman Xi, we are not to criticize the Chinese regime, and if you do, you are a racist. Well, count me among those who want nothing to do with this regime, Prime Minister. And you know what? More Canadians need to stand up and say the same thing. Back in a moment with more of The Andrew Lawton Show. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. We are back. This is The Andrew Lawton Show. I got a little bit ranty in the first segment. I, I'm not apologizing for it because, as I said, I, I think the situation very much warrants it. It's interesting. I actually get messages from people not infrequently asking me why I'm not angry more often. And I'm not a particularly angry person because you can't be in this line of work. I mean, the nature of what I do is that I'm immersed in, on one hand, you know, things that might be a bit nonsensical or in any But on the other hand, or insane sometimes too, on the other hand, things that are quite enraging under normal circumstances, quite infuriating. And if I were to keep the anger level at 100, I would just have a heart attack after three weeks of doing the show. So I have a sense of humor about things. You have to. But as I said, you can't just shrug off and laugh off appeasement of the Chinese regime. Now, you can shrug off and laugh off stories like this one, also in Canadian politics. Will Amos, the Liberal Member of Parliament from Pontiac, showed his Member of Parliament to Parliament for the second time in a month, although this time it sounds like he might have been peeing into a cup, not doing a drug test. This isn't like the new quarantine requirement. You have to, you know, just stop what you're doing and pee into a cup in your office. I, I don't quite understand what he was doing. I don't know how far away the bathroom was maybe he just you know really had to go maybe he was practicing his aim i have no idea but it would have been embarrassing under normal circumstances really bad considering just a month ago he was busted changing after supposedly coming from a bike ride and then a little block mp snapped a photo of mp will amos and not, he didn't get Will anus that was on the way out, but Will Amos, and you know what, the puns just write themselves on this, but it was odd, because this embarrassing thing happened that maybe you'd laugh at normally, and then he issued a statement saying that he was stepping down from his parliamentary secretary role because he was going to seek assistance, and that, almost has made it more of a story. Like, are you seeking assistance on how to turn off your camera on Zoom? Are you seeking assistance on how to find the bathroom? Are you seeking assistance on how to, I don't know, just wear some adult diaper so you don't need the car? Co- I don't know what he's seeking assistance for. It seemed odd. I mean, I don't know what the, is the problem that he has a, uh, like it, I don't, even want, I don't even want to speculate on air. I don't know what the problem is, and I don't want to know what the solution is. But now it's like I, I could not name a single thing that Will Amos has done in his, I believe, four years in power, five years in power. But I can name two things he's done in the last month that are not substantive at all. So this, is, this has put him on the map, whether you, whether you want to be on the map for those reasons or not, it has put him there. And it's been a quite odd story, to say the least. And it's like me. I mean, Justin Trudeau, when he got elected, said Canada's back. And what do you know, CNN headline... Canadian politician caught on camera urinating during virtual parliament session just weeks after nudity incident. Now, he didn't go the full Jeffrey Toobin. Let's hope he doesn't work his way up to that. But we are making headlines. Canada's back and Will Amos has been a big part of this. Canada's back. Will Amos is front. You know what? Same thing. I, I will say I was feeling a bit sassy this morning and I just started like looking up on Will Amos's Twitter account, various words. I went for, you know, cup and mug and eventually I just went for coffee. And lo and behold, there's Will Amos on January 25th. Quick coffee break before returning to virtual parliament session. That's, uh, I don't know, that's a, a sh- that's not too deep a cup. So uh, hopefully he didn't have some splash back there. And then in 2019, him working the drive-thru counter on camp day. Do not forget to grab a coffee today to support camp day as he's about to hand a coffee and a muffin to some poor unsuspecting person in a white car. I know it was a couple of years ago but my best advice as I tweeted was don't drink it for for the love of all that is holy do not drink that. Well there's your laugh today in Canadian politics. In the next couple of months we're going to get a little bit back to sort of normal maybe depending on where you live British Columbia is looking like it is getting on the normal train Alberta is planning to have the Cal Calgary Stampede and I'm trying to get the boss to let me go cover the Calgary Stampede. I if you want to tell me what the news value is, please do. I want to go just for me, but if you can like convince me there's a story, I can convince him there's a story because I just like haven't seen an actual person in, you know, 2 years now it feels like. So the Calgary Stampede would be like a sensory overload. It would be like that there was a gum commercial not that long ago. I can't remember what it was which I guess makes it not a great commercial. Or I'm just really bad at remembering things. But basically the premise was that everyone has just come out after the quarantine's been declared over. And it's this like post-apocalyptic landscape of everyone just seeing people for the first time. That's going to be the Calgary Stampede. It's going to be like Zombieland 3. But it'll be a lot of fun. And that's going to be a sign that Alberta is back in business, open for business, open for people. That's the Alberta promise this summer. And then you go to my province of Ontario, which last week unveiled a three-stage reopening plan, but reopening isn't actually in the third and final stage. Now, Ontario is a bit odd. Like they had at first, it was like phase one, they had phases and stages. There was like phase one, phase two, and within phase two, stage one, two, and three, and we never got anywhere. And then they went to color coding and you know we got to be in yellow for a little while, then orange, and then everyone went to gray. And now they've just thrown the colors out. They've thrown the numbers out and they've introduced new numbers, a three-stage reopening plan that is not at the end of which giving you no restrictions, which is to me what reopening means. And in fact, even by the text of this plan, Ontario is not opening in the way that the plan says it's supposed to. The first stage of this was supposed to kick in at 60% of the population vaccinated. Well, this week, Ontario cleared 65%, significantly above that 60% goal, and they're still waiting until well into June to open the province up. And again, I go to Alberta is getting ready to have the Calgary Stampede. I won't even be able to get a haircut in Ontario, which, as you may have seen on the show earlier this week, is desperately needed until July because Ontario has also put these 21-day increments between the stages, irrespective of where the province is on these metrics that the province has set out. So if people are actually doing better right now than Ontario says is necessary to advance through the stages, but they're still not advancing through the stages for completely arbitrary reasons. And Ontario, the province that had a premier that put up these open for business signs at the border, is not actually opening for anyone for the foreseeable future. There have been some rumors, and again, I must say it's not substantiated yet, but from American immigration lawyers that the U.S. is planning to open its land border on June 21st. Now, this date is significant because it's when the current border closure is meant to expire, and they've been renewing this every time like clockwork since last March, and this is when they're set to do it again. Now, Canada has given no indication that it's planning to open its border then, but it sounds like if these rumors are true, and they are rumors, the U.S. is planning to open up, which means Canadians will be allowed to go into the U.S. for groceries at Port Huron or Bellingham, Washington or wherever and drive back to Canada. But the problem is you'll still have to quarantine in Canada, you'll still have to get a negative test, you'll still have to do all of these things, unless Canada matches this with its own measure. There was a report this week that came out from the expert panel that the government appointed to look into quarantine and border restrictions, and this report actually suggested that Canada should get rid of this hotel quarantine program that you have to pay $2,000 for and get put up at some crappy airport hotel that the government has taken over for the purposes of housing people that are uh, daring to travel internationally, and they're saying, listen, we should just discontinue this, end it, there's no point. Now, this has been welcomed by a lot of conservatives, But the report also starts talking about a vaccine passport, which I know has been a very contentious subject for people. And it lays out basically different criteria depending on people's vaccination status. And you look in this chart here, figure three in the report, it says that people who are fully vaccinated should have to do a test on arrival. That's it. People that are partially vaccinated should have to do a pre-departure test, an arrival test, a quarantine plus an arrival test, and then... And people who are not at all vaccinated should have to do a full quarantine and another test. So they're talking about laying out different criteria for people depending on their vaccination status. And this is something that provincial governments have not put in. They're basically doing, and I think I played a clip from Jason Kenney about this last week. They're basically playing the we're all in this together card. And talking about it as though once we get to 60% vaccinated, 70%, 75 then these restrictions will be lifted. Well, one issue is that a lot of people who were down in the U.S. Uh, because they were trying to flee all this nonsense in Canada, a lot of the snowbirds got vaccinated, have come back because they didn't get vaccinated here they are not reflected in the system. They're not reflected in the numbers of how many people in Canada have been vaccinated. So the irony is people that decided to get fully vaccinated the way governments were supposed to roll this out with a three-week interval or four-week interval between shots rather than a four-month interval are ironically enough part of the problem or what government says is the problem in not reopening because they're part of that you know 20 25 30 35 percent of people who the government says are not vaccinated even though they actually are so if governments are going to lay out these plans and say we're going to reopen then just open I've got lots of friends in the U.S. who are telling me their governors are lifting mask mandates. They're walking around. We've talked on numerous shows about all these big events that are taking place in the U.K. and the U.S. Meanwhile, Canada is in the never-ending lockdown well into its second year. And depending on where in the country you live, no end in sight. So I'll just put my hand up right now and say I'm an Ontario refugee. If anyone wants to take me in in a more free province, let me know. Although I realize it is only incrementally more free if you look at the uh, gestalt of a lot of these measures. But the point is, we need to do a heck of a lot better than we are. If you're going to reopen, reopen and lay out some transparent frameworks that genuinely have a path to reopening. People are fed up with this. There's the yo-yoing of kids being in school, out of school, in school, out of school. How can anyone plan? How can anyone plan? How can any business plan if governments are just going to yank out the rug from under them? So I leave you with that today. We'll be back in just a couple of days time with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. You're tuned into the Andrew Lawton show here on True North. Thank you. God bless and watch what's in your mug.